Hey everybody, what's going on? Hope all is well and hope you're having a great week so far. Uh, we got a lot to cover today, so I'm going to jump right in with a word of prayer. Father, we again are grateful uh, for this time together and we're grateful um, for this holy week. Um, just for a chance to, um, for some of us to return to core beliefs that we've had for a while for some of us to uh, examine the core beliefs of the Christian faith uh, and to decide what we believe about them. Um, we thank you for being good to us, for being near to us, and always meeting us exactly where we are. So uh, I pray for that today for each one of us, that you would speak uh, personally and powerfully to each one of us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're continuing on with uh, one of the events um, from Jesus' last week leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. And today I'm going to be reading uh, in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Then they will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and didn't help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. As we begin to reflect on this passage together, I wonder, what's your initial response to it? What imagery most grabs your attention? What do you feel as you read I encourage you to be as specific as possible and uh, maybe even to pause this devotional if it helps give you the space you need. Maybe even write it down so that you can see it while we process what the Lord might be saying to us. Uh, for me, it's easy to feel fear, condemnation, and judgment when I read a passage like this. I'm not exactly first in line when it comes to identifying with the poor and meeting the needs of who Jesus called the least. Uh, for others, especially those who are skeptical of the Bible and of Christianity, they might feel put off by a passage like this. 
See, this is why I have a problem with religion. Jesus claims to be all good and all loving, but how could someone good and loving send people to eternal fire? I mean, honestly, who believes in all this stuff anyway? Maybe you're in one of those two categories too when you read this passage, either fearful and condemned or put off. Or maybe your reaction is something completely different. Regardless, I invite you to consider two things when reading any passage like this one. The first is to, what I say, come under the text rather than standing over it. What I mean is to posture yourself as a learner. We weren't the original audience of this text. It was written nearly 2,000 years ago. Yet somehow it's been preserved through the millennia. Why? For the sake of tradition? I doubt it personally. It takes about two minutes browsing YouTube to realize that we humans can lack common sense at times, but I don't think we're completely foolish. And how foolish it would be to hang on to worthless ancient writings for tradition's sake alone. What about control? That's a popular argument against religion. It was the German sociologist and economist Karl Marx, who uh, in the middle of the 19th century wrote that, quote, religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world and the soul of soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people, end quote. Religion is the opium of the people. Is that it? Not knock the people out with a false belief in God so that they're out of touch with reality, so that they can be pacified and controlled. Maybe that's true, but it's amazing how many sane people I've met in the church. Not just sane people, but intelligent people, smart thinkers, way smarter than me anyway, and people who are in power themselves. Why would they be there? And maybe Jesus was a fraud and maybe Christianity is a sham, but Personally, I think the scriptures have been preserved and people keep wrestling with tough passages like this one because there's something true about life to be learned from them. My stance has become this. Who am I to brush off writings that have withstood the test of time without first attempting to understand them? So that's the first thing. Be teachable and try to learn something before dismissing it. The second thing is to remember that Jesus so often communicated with a mix of what we can call invitation and challenge. In other words, he was both soft and hard, both inviting and offensive. He he at one time made space for everyone. And at the same time, he said that life with him would be like walking on a narrow road down which few people would decide to go. For the rest of our time today, let's Look at this passage through that lens, the lens of invitation and challenge. Think about this question with me. Where is there pain or sickness, dysfunction or even death in your life or in the lives of the people who are closest to you? Where doesn't life make sense? Where where are you aware that things aren't as they were meant to be? Did it take you more than half a second for something or someone to come to your mind? A great relief for us is that God agrees. He's with us on this issue. We've talked about it before, that the Bible makes very clear that God has been telling people for 
uh, all of human history that things aren't as they should be. I'm sure you can remember us talking about this with the language, what was, what is, what can be, and what will be. What is, is a world that experiences brokenness. But what is, is also a world in which God is still present with us and he's still near to us. And, and what I find to be so encouraging about this passage is that Jesus is nearest to those with the greatest needs. He himself said, whenever you did something for the least among you, you did it for me. I was right there, I think he was saying. It isn't just those in need who are close to Jesus, though. It's those who serve those in need, too, because that's what Jesus does. For those of you who don't know, every winter our church help, helps host Night to Shine, a prom night experience for people with special needs. Every year we have hundreds and hundreds of guests and caregivers and buddies and other volunteers who participate in this huge party. And guess what? I know people who volunteer to serve and bless our guests, even though they wouldn't identify themselves as religious, let alone people who believe in Jesus. Why is that? Why would people volunteer to serve? Why would people sacrifice their time and energy to bless others? I, I believe that part of the answer is that it feels good to love. It feels good to love. It feels good to make someone's life better. I think what happens when we love people through service and sacrifice is that we actually become more human. To put it a, another way, we become more like Jesus, who was the ultimate, the perfect expression of humanity in his person. I believe that when we see the needs of others and our hearts are moved to do something about them, we become more like God created us to be. We're living like Jesus, who was the perfect human, never straying from who he was made to be, and always moving to identify with those in need and to, to bless, heal, and restore their health and their dignity. In other words, their humanity. To think that that is the promise when we choose to meet the needs of the least, that we will become more human by living like Jesus and will become closer to God because of it. How exciting is that? That is quite an invitation. Yet, as I mentioned, there's a sobering element to today's reading, too. There's an obvious challenge in this text. Just as God fulfilled his promise to be near to us in Jesus, he's also promised that Jesus will return again to set things on earth right forever. This is the, the will be that I mentioned earlier. And part of setting things right will be to administer justice. We often think of following Jesus in our relationship with him as a spectrum with far away on one end and close by on the other and a bunch of increments in between. And we may ebb and flow between being far from him and close to him at different points in our lives. Now, I'm not criticizing this way of thinking at all. In fact, I've used it myself. But What's challenging for me about this passage is that Jesus leaves no room for such a spectrum. 
he shows that clearly in the end, there are only two types of people and their lives have only one of two outcomes. Jesus says that those who care for the least in our world will inherit eternal life and be with him forever. That's the one outcome. The other outcome is separation from him and what he describes as eternal fire, which is the destination for those who do not care for the least in our world. I don't know about you, but that feels like a high and a heavy challenge to me. So what do we do? Obviously, none of us want the second outcome. We all want to be with God forever. But what do we do? Is it as easy as finding someone today who's hungry, thirsty, alone, naked, sick, or in prison and help them? In a word, I think the answer is yes. I don't think that we can go wrong if we proactively looked for someone in one of those situations every day and met their needs. I think we'd end up blessing a lot of people And my bet is that many of us would have greater connection and closeness with God because of it. I also think that a fuller, richer answer is yes, but. Yes, but. Here's what I mean. I said earlier that Jesus used invitation and challenge when he interacts with people and that I think that he's using it here. Something that I learned from Mike Breen and all the people at 3DM who have mentored me is that in every challenge of Jesus, there's also an invitation. When we feel challenged by Jesus, we should pause and recognize that he's pressing on us because he loves us and he's getting our attention because he has something important to share with us. So in this great challenge of Jesus about sheep and goats and loving the least and our eternal destinies, what is the invitation? I can't answer that for you, of course, but for me, the invitation is to remember, to remember who he is and what he's done for me. Remembering is what will move me to action, action that is truly selfless and sacrificial. Here's what I mean. One of the things we've uh, come back to throughout these devotionals is that we cannot be good enough through good performance. We cannot do enough good to undo the tiniest act of disobedience to God. To paraphrase Jonathan Edwards, we're as powerless against our sin as a spider web is against a falling rock. Our sin has put us in the middle of the ocean and it's storming. The waves are crashing all around us and we're gasping for breath. We need rescued and the help has to come from outside of ourselves. Thanks to, thanks to God and his great love for us, he sent that rescuer. He sent Jesus to be so near to us that he jumped in the water with us, being fully immersed in our sin. And, and he put the harness around us so that we could be pulled up and out of the water just before that final crushing wave took him down to the bottom of the ocean. If we, if if every single one of us need a rescuer, if we can't be good enough to get God on our own, then we can't love the least enough to get Jesus' approval and eternal blessing either. No, true love expressed through genuine sacrificial service to the least is an outflow of experiencing true love from Jesus himself. 
We know that love when we see ourselves as the least, as spiritually hungry and thirsty and exposed and fearful and alone and in prison, and know that on the cross, he met all of our needs and made us whole with God. So to me, the answer today is yes, but. Yes, serve the least. Do it proactively, regularly, and genuinely. But do it not to earn God's favor, but because you have God's favor in the Lord Jesus. Show God's love because you already have God's love. As Jesus said, it's been given to you freely. Now freely give it away. Let's pray. God, we come to you first with humble and repentant hearts. Um, I can't speak for everyone, but I can certainly speak for myself that I do not uh, lead the way in living for the least like you did. Um, I confess that my life, my thoughts, my actions are so much more often focused on myself and my family and my best friends than they are on strangers and people who are going through great challenges and difficulties in their life. So I lay that down to you. I ask your forgiveness for it. And by faith in Christ, I believe uh, that I am forgiven and empowered to live fresh today. And so God, for each one of us, uh, we pray that you would help us to remember all that you've given us in Christ and that you would then help us uh, to see people in our lives who are broken and in need, who are um, least and who are last in line, and that you would empower us to extend your love to them by living sacrificially. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.